Atlantic Challenge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to craftsmanship, community, and the traditions of the sea. 594-1800 or AtlanticChallenge.com. And by the Redfern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for powerboats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island. RedfernBoat.com. The time is exactly 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning. It's uh, second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9 and 102.9 in Bangor. Boat Talk is WERU's own call-in show for uh, folks contemplating things naval with your hosts and rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague, here to take our bows. And we're thankfully joined again by Captain Giffy Full, Marine Surveyor and Color Commentator. And uh, I'd like to, first of all, start off uh, dedicating this show to a friend and boat builder, Lyford Stanley, who died just, just this last week. Lyford was a, uh, a real talented boat builder and a, a true gentleman, and when you got to know him, he was a pretty funny fellow, good stories to tell, but uh, I tried several times to have him talk on Boat Talk, but he definitely liked to avoid the limelight. And so unfortunately, uh, we won't be hearing from him. Lyford anymore, but I'd like to dedicate this show to him anyway. Lyford Stanley died at 89, had a great life. Built more than a couple of boats. Oh, boy, he sure has. Kind of, uh, and there actually is a Boat Builder Hall of Fame. He actually, I believe, is a member of that, and yeah. and he went, actually sat to it in the in the chair, but refused to do any sort of interviews or uh, talking there, too. Just, kind of a modest sort. Yeah. He probably learned that building all those boats. <laughs> you know, <laughs> probably knew exactly what he was good for and, well, and, yeah, and what he wasn't, for you know, sure. Lyford Stanley. Yeah, good morning, and good morning, Giffy Fall. Giffy, you were working yeah. last month. And uh, you're off working again, uh, you know, right away. Oh, you're... I don't work anymore. I've been long retired. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting version of it with uh, you're off to, uh, next week you said you're off to survey the Mayflower. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm going to be the helper on this job. <laughs> now, this would be the Mayflower that sits down in Plymouth, Massachusetts. That is correct. Yep. Yeah, historical interpretation of the of the uh, boat that come across with the Pilgrims, 1620 or so. Great story about yeah. that uh, Mayflower, recent history. She's 50 uh, years old. Yeah, the the boat ex- itself that you're yeah. looking at, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a great uh, book about it uh, the last couple of years out, just called Mayflower. It might be Nathaniel Philbrick. I'm, I'm not sure who wrote yes, it, but yeah. wonderful yeah. story yeah. of the yeah. of the real story of the Pilgrims. He's a, he's a good author. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's a little bit more to it than they bumped into Cape Cod. They, uh, you know, uh, hacked a place out of the wilderness, then shared a meal with the Indians, and everybody lived happily ever after. There's a little bit more to it than that. Quite a bit more yeah. to it than that. <laughs> you know what I often think, too, Giffy, when I'm sailing around the coast in the summertime? Imagine you sailed up here in the old days without a chart, and you could kind of have your pick any place you wanted to land. 
Yes, you might have landed someplace you didn't want to. Right. Well, <laughs> hit a few rocks. How would, boy, how would you pick a spot and, and uh, you know, how would you know what you were missing and, and uh, well, you know. Very, in those days, they kept somebody aloft all the time. Yeah, and did a lot of scouting in their all small the boats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, boy, you talk about the uh, difficulty of sailing around the main coast. I am so thankful that I came of my sailing age in a time where we've got all these fancy doodads and stuff to, you know, little video games that tell you where you are all the time. Wonderful radar, you know what I'm saying? Uh, big boats that make it kind of hard to mess up. Not idiot-proof, but idiot-resistant, as we like to point out. And, yeah. You know, uh, often wonder about, as I say, sailing up in the old days, what would you make of the coast and what, what piece of land would you choose for yourself? Wow. The only problem with that that I see is people get dependent on it, then they don't know what to do when it doesn't work. Ain't that the truth. And now, had an interesting little passage uh, earlier this uh, fall. We were taking a boat down to Stonington, Connecticut, and we uh, showed up there, of course, in the middle of the night, you know, in Long Island Sound. The uh, last part of the thing, you have to go through Watch Hill Passage now, uh, Long Island Sound is just wide open. There's, there's, uh, you know, there's no gear in the water. There's no, there's not much. There's a little traffic at night, but not a lot. And uh, you know, you can run down there at night. Now, Watch Hill Passage looks like the coast of Maine for a few minutes, because uh, the end of uh, Long Island comes out of there, Plum Island, I guess. And there's, there's a lot of junk in the water yeah. there. Come to- Katom ledges and a lot of lobster pots. A lot of lobster pots, some unmarked buoys, okay, and uh, there's breakwater that comes out there. And So anyway, you've got you to gotta mind your P's and Q's. We come up that, on that at 1 o'clock in the morning in the rain and the fog, and there's a tug with a barge coming the other way and also another sailboat coming the other way. All one in the morning in the rain and the fog, mm-hmm. you know, which is all well and good. We're on a nice Morris 46, but uh, this belonged to a, uh, 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 a guy who uh, really sails his boat. And he doesn't like to have the navigation stuff up by the helm. He likes a nice, tidy helm. All he has by the helm is his autopilot buttons. And all the navigating stuff is downstairs. You can't even see it, huh? It's downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, to say that that made uh, for uh, and, and the uh, radar is on the bulkhead by the companionway, well, obviously not by the wheel either. You could have, it must have had a compass you could see. Oh, there's a compass right there. But like I say, be. you're you're trying to run down this course at one in the morning in the rain and the fog with traffic coming mm-hmm. the other way, a lot of unknown stuff. Uh, what are all these marks in the water? A lot of un, unmarked buoys. Uh, unlighted buoys. So anyway, it was interesting. And, and there we were with a perfectly equipped boat, but the equipment was not really handy to the helm. And it made for a little, uh, you know, we had... we had Alertness. A... You guys are living in <laughs> in the present. I live in the past. <laughs> it's like Daniel Boone says, I never been lost, but I was quite uncertain for about three weeks. Yeah, you he know? doesn't even need a compass. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, I had, uh, in, in the uh, medium old days, I had an owner who had one of these first uh, navigation software things, and he brought it on his laptop. And he lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and every once in a while he'd mail the laptop to me so I could use it. But I didn't really know how to use it, to tell you the truth, unless I brought a kid. And uh, he said to me one time, should I mail that to you? Oh, we don't have time. Well, you don't need that anyway, Mike. You can smell your way in the floor. There's no comeback to that if that man's hiring you. You know, you can't disclaim any mythic powers, which, of course, you don't have, so... So what, what occurs to me is that you mentioned that it was a call-in show, and we still haven't even given the phone number yet. Good point. <laughs> Which is probably we should we should do. Um, 
1-866-625-9378 if you'd like to join in the conversation. We do have a phone caller already, though, somebody who knew what to call. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, guys. This is Captain Yosarian. Good morning. I had a comment about your um, thing about electronic navigation devices. Ah. Personally, I've never really had much success making them work, and I know a lot of people do make them work, and, and they're a big help in difficult conditions. But one thing I've noticed that I think is worth mentioning to our listeners is that particularly when you're shorthanded, they provide a distraction that keeps your eyes and attention away from what's going on around the vessel. And you cannot watch a radar set and mind the helm at the same time. So it may be the person who laid out that vessel was actually pretty clever. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that point about being distracted by... Backlit displays and rows of buttons and all that kind of thing. You see it I everywhere. Think, uh, I think you're, you're right on the money. <laughs> I, I feel, Thanks, I'm going to hang up. All right, I feel you. it's very important to learn how to navigate without any of this stuff. Uh, you ought to be, able to, to be able to properly plot, estimate the current, have a stopwatch, a properly... Cur- compensated compass, parallel rules, a pencil, and the stopwatch is invaluable. And uh, I operated boats up here in all kinds of weather, never had even a sounding machine, but I was taught the old-fashioned way, and it works. And, uh, you know, the other stuff is is wonderful to have, uh, but it's, a, it's an aid, and I think this gentleman is absolutely correct. There's too much of this stuff people are playing with and um, got the boat on autopilot and they're playing with the instrumentation and they're not paying attention to where the boat's going. And I've seen it, uh, the cause of an accident, more than once. Uh, I know one boat that was seriously damaged after having made an entire transatlantic passage she was about 30 miles from Ireland. They had her on the autopilot. Nobody was attention. They piled her right into the side of a big steel trawler. Oh, dear. And, and um, <clears throat> just, you know, I agree with him. <laughs> I agree with this man. <laughs> I have watched. Uh, I've ta- I, I often take uh, people who are not experienced, uh, and sometimes you uh, give them the helm and you tell them that, okay, this boat, on the little chart thing here represents us, but you can't steer it with the wheel. And people invariably do stare at the little icon on the chart screen and try to twist the wheel and make it go where you want it to. Well, you're right. The distraction factor is actually increasing. It does become like driving a video game with some of these new color displays. There is no doubt about it. Now, Giffy, uh, you turned off your cell phone before we started Boat Talk this morning. Now, I imagine there's a couple of phone numbers programmed in there. Um, I had somebody program a bunch of phone numbers for me, and I forgot them all no, from not using them. I don't, I don't have them programmed in there. Do you know why? Because I don't know how to bring them up. <laughs> there you go. Well, that would be another example, though, of conveniences that make us forget the basics. And you know? the other thing is that cell phone's for my convenience, not somebody else's. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Well, let's bring up the phone number one more time for people who would like to join in. 1-866-625-9378. get you in the boat talk. We uh, will talk to David Platt of the Island Institute, uh, hopefully later in the show, about half past maybe. And in the meantime, we can talk about anything you want to. I have a report from up to Unity Pond that they're actually ice boating on Unity Pond already. I would think it's a little... well, yeah. no, wait, there's the not enough, even without the snow problem, I there's not, you, it's not yeah. enough ice. Yeah. It's not safe. Well, they said that they're out ice boating and it's too thin to walk on. Now, isn't that a little... That's um, uh, not safe. Over the top. Uh, well, in the news, the there was an airboat ice rescue on Graham Lake yesterday in Ellsworth. And uh, at the Kids Peace uh, Center on Graham Lake and uh, at the north end of Ellsworth there, um, a uh, young girl decided to walk across the ice to an island, which is nearby, to the residential uh, kids' facility there, and she broke through on her way but made it to the island. Now, the wardens went and got an airboat and, and uh, rescued her off the island hmm. uh, by airboat and crashed through. This, uh, the warden said there was an inch to an inch and a half of ice there on the lake. Certainly not enough to go ice boating. I don't care how fast you're going. Uh, other things, I'm greatly disturbed to hear that the J&E Regans was damaged by vandals. That's in our note I news, too, I yeah. I think that's shocking to, yeah. to happen here on the main coast when we 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 think that uh, we're immune to that sort of thing. It just, it's just, it's just uh, I think it's awful. Well, J&E Riggins is one of the main uh, windjammer fleet, uh, you know, 70-odd-foot schooner. And she is birthed in Rockland at the NBNA property down there, and she was cut adrift last week, wasn't it? Uh, five of the seven lines were cut adrift, enough to, I guess, swing it around and have the bowsprit must have come up against something because the bowsprit split now. And yep, she uh, got in under, my understanding, she got in and under the wharf at low tide. Uh, uh-oh. And then came up under the wharf, something of that nature. I don't really know, but it's sufficient damage and... Uh, well, and the wind and tide kept it nearby, which was sort of a good thing. But you know, if it has to grind on its own wharf, that's not a, and trapped under a rising tide. And uh, yeah, who would do that? Now they say in the paper that uh, there are security cameras all over the place in that NBNA uh, former uh, area there, and so they are going to look heavily into who did that. And of course, when uh, the word got out that uh, Janie Riggins was in trouble, everybody from the schooner world came and yes. uh, you know was on the site and. And wanted to give a hand pretty quick, which is a nice thing. They're they're actually offering a reward for any information that will lead to the, uh, I guess, arrest and conviction of anybody who's. You'd have this. you got um, you'd have to work to untie that boat. I think it was cut. cut. <coughs> Excuse me, you'd have to work to cut it too. Your average boat that's uh, just tied up for a few minutes has what four lines tying it to the dock. Uh, one like that that's there for the winter is going to have, uh, you know, six, eight, ten lines on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a bunch of work. Somebody had to work at it and think about it and equip themselves. And it kind of, you know, kind of makes you wonder if it was just a moment of inspiration or something worse. Who knows what. Yeah. one is the number in the boat talk. And the phone is ringing in the meantime. Jeez, uh, we hate to bring up this bad news all the time. A couple more people died. Um Boating over the last uh, month here. 51-year-old man in Fayette, Maine, uh, in the Augusta area. He and his buddy went out uh, boating on a really windy Saturday afternoon in, in, uh, in uh, the end of October there. and they ca- I'm sorry, November, and they capsized 
One of them lived and one of them didn't. Mm. Yeah, water. Yeah, it's great to get out on the water, but you do have to. They were both wearing life jackets. To, we do have a phone call, so let's go right to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi, guys. Captain Yo again. Um, you guys are just stimulating me to call today. <laughs> I wanted to make a comment about the story about the rig in by adding that uh, my Annie McGee was cut adrift 20 years ago in Rockland Harbor, just a couple hundred yards from where the rigging incident happened. And <clears throat> while it might be comforting to say that, oh, it's an act of vandalism and it's regrettable and what a modern world we live in, it may very well be that it was more like sabotage. Because Rockland's a tough little town and waterfront politics are what they are. But I just wanted to point out to listeners that this certainly is not the first time such a thing has happened in funky Rockland. I wound up having to replace my garboards. Thanks again, guys. We see some of that in the fishing community, yo. I don't, I've never heard it in the schooner yeah, community. The schooner, the people I've talked to seem to make it sound like a pretty, uh, pretty communal group. Um, although, you know, it's, it's just tough to speculate what, what went on there. Fishermen fight over territory all the time. Um, I don't really see this as a territorial thing, probably, though. Interesting and regrettable. So anyway, 1-800. No, it's 1-866, isn't it? 625-9378. It's the number around Boat Talk. I got a frog in my throat here this morning. We could be in some trouble. We, um, we have the 2008 edition of the Boat Talk calendar. There's a limited number of those to... Uh, to sell here at the station, if you'd like to uh, call up and order one of those, we uh, will take those at our regular business line, which is uh, 469-6600. We'll get you to the front desk. The Boat Talk calendar is uh, not really one of those glossy ones. It's more uh, more a matter of content than uh, than quality, but it's a interesting calendar, and it has a lot of the uh, boats and vessels that have been discussed on Boat Talk in the past year so again eight six no four six nine six six zero zero is the number to the alan does front that desk. calendar his own whole self yep and we have another phone call let's go right to that good morning welcome to boat talk good morning troops i've got a i've i've got a question are you guys aware of the uh, of the oh just the the research they're doing about the maybe i'm off my zip but about the Hydro, um, the hydro turbines they're thinking about maybe putting in down yep. Bagaduce. Yeah, we know about that. Well, I'm just I'm curious if if you think that's a good thing or if if it's if it's solely in developing stages. Uh, Why wouldn't it be a good thing? I, I don't know. I just I just know that that's that's going to be eventually small turbines like that would be a a boon for any any large company and i, I i'm always suspect of anyone uh, dabbling um and I, I i trust mma um to a large degree and i well i just was i just was curious about your opinion. well let's establish what we're talking about here there's um uh, two ideas in the state of Maine right now, and Dave Evans on Renewable Radio has talked about this. 
let's see, the fourth Friday of the month mm-hmm. on uh, the same time time period on ERU here. Anyway, um, and eSport, they just put a uh, test unit in the bay, and uh, this is uh, strictly a test idea, and they're doing the same thing in Castine with two areas in Castine. Now, there's two possibilities in Castine. They're demonstrating both of them. One is right in the harbor. They have a low uh, tidal flow but a large volume of water. And up further in the bay, they have a much faster current but a lower volume of water. And that takes two different kind of turbines. And uh, the idea is to submerge them in the water and uh, let them turn and, and generate electricity. Now, you wonder why that wouldn't be a good idea, but... Um, you know, people don't like fish farming either, and that has ecological implications. And, and possibly by putting these things in the water, they take up space. Well, I, I feel differently about it. I, If it's done right, like anything else, I don't see why it's a harm. I think it would be a wonderful thing. It's clean energy. It's It's cost practically nothing. And if you stop and think about it, uh, there's several places in Maine where that could be easily done without harming the environment, probably in any way. Uh, but one of the biggest things, I think it's be, they're, they're beginning to look at it seriously, but stop and think of the unlimited, unlimited amount of horsepower that goes up through with the Gulf Stream between the Straits of Florida and the Bahamas. It's just... Two and a half knots that runs. There's no, there's no interruption in the flow. Of Just the like an eternal engine. Yeah, uh, one of them. A, and, and I mean, it's, there's a number of ways that you could harness that. And it's clean. Everybody wants clean energy. What could be much cleaner? Kind of wonder. Um, like I say, it would have to take up space in the water. It would have to have some buoys over the top of it, probably. And mm-hmm. you'd hate to think somebody with a house with a big yeah. picture window would object. Well, go down, go down here to South Blue Hill and look at the power of the water that Tidal Falls. We have right. lots of them. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have another phone call. Maybe this person has some more information <laughs> for us. Good morning, and uh, welcome to Boat Talk. Uh, morning, Alan, uh, Michael, and Giffy. This is Howard calling. Hi, How's Howard. everybody this morning? Good. Good. Okay, I've got a question. No information on the uh, tidal turbo or whatever, but a uh, uh, question on maintenance and a uh, question in regards to uh, removing lettering off of a transmit of a boat for a hailing port. I worked with Mike years ago on Skylark, <laughs> and he took Thimble Islands off of her, but that was removing uh, paint off of a gel coat. Now, I believe I've got paint on paint. And I was wondering if you gentlemen knew any shortcuts or ways of um, getting some of the lettering off. I have to remove some, but not all. I can tell you for sure how to get it off. You take a 4-inch grinder with a 36-grit pad, and you lay it real hard on there. Yeah, that, that would do it. I'd take uh, it uh, off for sure. How well, much you filler do you need afterwards? It's on paint. What kind of paint is it on? Uh, it's a, probably an Interlux Holland deck paint. I don't have the exact... Um, uh, paint and actually, I think he he mixed the two, a couple of different colors to get just the right shade of white. Uh, I know they did that on the deck. But I don't know if that's on the hull as well. Well, the problem yeah. is to uh, you know you're trying to remove one layer of paint without damaging the the layer no, of paint right under it. You can't yep. do it. It's a lost cause. It's, okay. Uh, you'd have to you'd have to sand it off. But uh, to be serious, uh, I, I would I would I would sand it off uh, with a soft pad held absolutely flat, and I would probably only use uh, this 
probably nothing, nothing any stronger than than 220. Mm-hmm. That would be my best guess. All right. On a glass boat, uh, on a fiberglass boat, uh, you can often use oven cleaner. Yeah, some solvent. Yep. Oven cleaner. With a mild abrasive in it. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, I think you he, might also try something else. It's going to dis, it's going to disturb the paintwork. Regardless, you could also try uh, the 3M scrubbing pads. Just get a regular. There's three about three grades of 3M pads. Yep. And I I would probably even try the 3M pad before I tried the sandpaper. Mm-hmm. Any kind of chemical solvent put in with that? Acetone or anything, or just plain no, straight gonna, I'd, I'd be afraid of acetone. No. You're yep. going to ma- melt the other paint as yep. well. You might. You might. Another good uh, cleaner is uh, mineral spirits. You could try some mineral spirits. That isn't going to hurt anything. Mm-hmm. And we will be able to touch it up. As, as I yeah. said, we're removing yeah. some of the letters, not all. Yeah. But th- what's what's the problem with just repainting the whole stern? Could do, but I didn't. I uh, could do that, but I didn't want a large patch. If I could uh, just do a, and it's a very large stern. I don't know if you saw the uh, images I mailed into you a long while ago after we bought the boat last year, but uh, we're changing um, hailing port from Norfolk, Virginia, to No Port, Maine. So uh, I've got a lot of overlapping that I can do. The Coast Guard was a uh, uh, nice enough to allow us that abbreviation and documentation. So um, you know, I'm just cutting out little bits, bits of letters, and I'm trying to do yeah. it as, as small. Um, and as intrusive as possible. Well, I think you're stuck with. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll see what we do. Repainting the whole stern. You can, if you wanted to, you could, you could, you could uh, block uh, block out the, the the name and and uh, just you know repaint the stern. Nowadays, people also get uh, graphics, pre-made graphics that come mm-hmm. on a vinyl sheet. Yeah, that was a consideration. Lay right over it. Yeah. Yeah, that's or a possibility too. Yeah, yeah. very good. I well, think. There's a, wait a minute. There's another. There's <laughs> another thing you could hit on, is um, just um, get the get the name off with the least amount of damage, and then just uh, I would tape it out, block it out, and just the hailing port, mm-hmm. and then I would just paint that area. Yep. And then p- put your graphic. Um, Hailing port over. back on over that freshly painted area. It's it's not going to show much of any if it's neatly done. Good. Well, we'll try first to see what we can get done with it, just removing a little bit of it, and then if um, that doesn't work out to my liking, we'll go for the vinyl and a larger patch. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you'll find. <clears throat> excuse me. Even if you were in theory able to remove just a letter, the the white paint that's underneath it will have. Uh, faded outside the letter and not underneath it, so you'd be left with a shadow anyway where the letter was. No, a boat that uh, used to be called Dolly Bird and was painted on both sides in about four-foot-high letters, and they got the letters off, but it always said Dolly Bird, (laughs) if you looked at it from a little bit away, you know. Well, on my own boat, she had a South Carolina state number on her, on the bow, and which was removed, but it still chose. I... Pretty much tried everything on it. Still show doesn't show much, but it does show. You can see it. Okay. Well, Thank, th- you, John. Good luck, Howard. Howard. Thank you, Howard. Okay. Bye now. One eight six six two five nine three seven eight is the number in the studio, and we're particularly looking for anybody that has uh, anything, anybody who knows anything that's current about title 
power. We didn't even get into gold leaf possibilities with Howard there, you know. Of course, you can gold leaf all that stuff. And, yeah. And, of course, the aesthetics are very important, let alone, uh, you know, having your paint just right. Sort of like having your car just right, you know, and the, the tiniest little ding or dent on your uh, paint job on your boat kind of is very hard to patch, just like a car. Well, Matter of fact, the paints are really quite similar, and, uh, you know, it can be very expensive to need to paint your whole boat. Yeah. I don't know. You go down to Florida, probably Giffy can say this too. You go down to Florida, you see some pretty beat up looking boats down <laughs> down <laughs> south. Sunshine's awful hard on them, you know, and uh, uh, so is use. And uh, most boats don't get overused at all, anyway. We are uh, getting David Platt on the telephone. Morning, David. Are you there? I am here. Morning, David. I've uh, been trying to talk to David for a couple months now, and don't even still have the uh, thing that we were talking about, but we, we know what it's about. David. Uh, you're the publications director for the Island Institute. That's right. I actually uh, am the editor of their newspaper, uh, which is called Working Waterfront, and also a magazine that we call Island Journal. Yeah, and the uh, mission of the Island Institute, just, you know. Well, let's see. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe sometimes, but we're really a community development organization. We work with the 15 year round island communities off the coast, main coast, and uh, uh, the the programs of the Institute involve uh, placing island fellows on those islands who do a lot of different projects at the invitation to those communities. They include my the publications that I'm involved with. Um, there's a lot of uh, advocacy work having to do with fisheries. There's a working waterfront access project that we've been involved in, things like that. Working Waterfront's a wonderful paper. I just read in the uh, most recent one there was a Letter to the editor in there says, I keep a stack of them in my living room for show, and I read them front to back. It's the only thing I ever do, and, and I must say about the same thing, too. That's it very really, kind. It really is quite good. Um, David, the reason uh, we were interested to talk to you, you wrote a little piece in the back of a working waterfront issue a couple of uh, papers back, and you took a sail over to Nova Scotia this summer. Right. And uh, on your return to the United States, you, uh, well, tell us about trying to clear customs, reentering the United States of America by yacht. Well, it was very interesting. Um, we uh, had sailed over to Yarmouth, Nova Scotia from Rockland. And uh, let's see, the story really begins. We, we entered Canada over there. We got there on a, I guess it was a Thursday night and um, after hours. And, and basically there was a phone number at the dock over there. And just call this number if you want to check in obviously aimed at us Americans who come in there. And uh, so we called the number, and uh, we reached somebody, I think, in Halifax, and, uh, you know, gave them all our passport numbers and stuff and did it all on the phone. And it took a little while, but it wasn't too bad. And but basically on the phone, they said, yeah, welcome all on to the Canada. Phone, pretty simple. Yeah. And um, they were actually very nice about the whole thing, and they, they called us back and this kind of thing. So we did it all, you know, with various cell phones that we had with us. And um, that was that. And then um, then we set sail to come back and had a very nice trip back, no problems, and sailed into Rockland, um, arriving, I think it was on Saturday night. This was in uh, the first week in September. Um, and uh, so we arrived on a Saturday evening and uh, put the boat on the mooring, cleaned up, hauled everything ashore, and the usual stuff. There were five of us on the, in this trip. And um, got ashore, and then... One of our numbers said, oh, we probably ought to check in. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, we thought, you know, wonder if we should. There's nobody around. You know, we could just kind of go home. <laughs> we all had our cars there and stuff. And uh, he said, no, no, I think we better check in. It's the right thing to do. There's always one, 
law-abiding person in the group. <laughs> so uh, we placed, and I was, you know, I'm the skipper, so I'm the one who's expected to place the phone call and, and uh, be responsible. And I got to thinking, well, you know, it's 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 my head if we didn't if we do something wrong. So uh, I gathered up the passports and the numbers and stuff and uh, called the. Uh, Let's see. It was Rockland, so I just I called the Coast Guard in Rockland, and because um, they're the nearest official place there to the public landing where we were, and uh, the Coast Guard duty officer, very nice young fellow, says, "Oh, uh, you'll have to call. Let's see. You'll have to call Portland, sir." And I said, "Well, okay. Uh, tell me what to do." And he gave me a phone number, and so I dialed Portland. And, uh, now, would this be the co- has he put you up the Coast Guard chain of command? Are you calling well, the Coast Guard again? Well, or? he sent me to Homeland Security oh, in, better. I, in Portland. Well, the Coast Guard is part of Homeland Security. Yep. So they work for them. So anyway, so I got this Portland number, and they called the Portland number. And um, let's see. The person there said, oh, that's not the right number. You'll have to call this number. And he gave me another Portland number. They moved their offices or something. I don't remember exactly why that first number wasn't right, but anyway, that was it was not right. So I called the second number, and I got some person who I think was at the airport in Portland, and uh, he said, "Oh, have you called Holton?" And uh, <laughs> this was beginning to get this was beginning to get funny, and uh, I said, "No, I haven't called Holton yet. You have to keep a straight face in these things." So I, "Oh no, sir, I haven't called Holton yet. Why? What's the number?" And he gave me the number, and so I dialed up Holton, and they deal with border stuff, border crossings and things. And uh, so uh, the Holton person said, um, "Gosh, uh, you need to call Bangor," <laughs> and. Uh, so I uh, got the number again. I'm still really trying very hard to keep a straight face. And everybody's standing around wondering what what the heck is going on here. Is it raining all, all the time? My, no, it was not. It was actually a very nice evening. Okay. <laughs> we were out standing around a pickup truck in the parking lot with, phones, with cell phones in our ears. And uh, so I've, then I called Bangor. And the Bangor guy said, uh, uh, yes, sir, um, uh, let's see. I said, well, we're we're here on shore, and we'd like. And he said, where'd you come from? And I said, well, we came from uh, Canada, from uh, Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, and we're in Rockland. Rockland? He said, yeah. I said, that's where we are, and we're we're kind of ready to go home. We'd like to check in and get this done, and then you know we're going to work time for supper. And uh, he said, you can't do that. You have to stay with your vessel. Stay with your vessel, sir. He was quite emphatic. And uh, I said, well, that's fine, but you know we're off the vessel, it's all put away, and we've packed up the cars, and we're kind of, we're getting hungry. <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, no, sir, you'll have to stay with your vessel, and we'll be back to you. Back to you in the morning, he said. <laughs> and so the assumption from the Coast Guard's point of view, or from, from Homeland Security's point of view, the Bangor Homeland Security, which is, I think, the airport, uh, was that we would stay on board overnight, and then they would call us in the morning and, and deal with us. And um, well, as I said in the little story I wrote about this, um, we took a had a little straw poll and decided we really didn't want to go and dirty up the boat again, and we really were ready to go home and take a shower. And so we agreed that we would gather again in Rockland on the next morning, and we would just basically spend the night at undisclosed locations, which we did. And uh, I stayed with some friends, uh, who were one of whom was on the boat with me. He lived nearby, 
and a couple of guys went home uh, to New Gloucester, and the gal in the group went to her house, which is in, I think, Warren, and we all agreed we'd communicate again in the morning. And the Coast Guard, of course, or the, I keep saying Coast Guard, the Homeland Security had my phone number, so they were going to call me in the morning. So I um, went to my friend's house, spent the night. Did oh. you did you toss and turn all night, Captain, worrying about the security risks that yes, you had just course. allowed yes. to run loose in America? It's real, you know, you are the captain after absolutely, all. Absolutely, and, and and as I always wanted to say to the coast, to the uh, Homeland Security folks, we've lit the fuses on the bombs, we've dropped off the drugs, we're leaving. See you later. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't say that. Uh, but anyway, never, uh, never underestimate the power of a sailor who has just got to port. His desire to get off of the boat is overwhelming, and they can't. I've had the same problem. They yeah. cannot be stopped. They but cannot be kept on the boat. But there's more. Uh, so I went home and ha- I went to my friend's house and had a, a restless night worrying. And then the next morning, I got in my car. And headed back to the dock, thinking I better get back there. You know they're going to call me. I had my little trusty cell phone with me, and um, about I don't know half a mile down the road, the phone rings, and it's the Bangor Coast Guard guys. I, I keep saying Coast Guard. I mean Homeland Security. And um, he said, uh, "Mr. Platt, uh, I see you tried to check in last night, and, and this is a different shift. You see, they're they're always different." And he said. We're really busy here in Bangor today. Uh, we've got a lot of people coming in the airport today, and we haven't got time to come down there and clear you. And you won't like the sound of this. This is all a quote. But uh, we're going to let you check in by phone. And, Terrible imposition. Oh. And uh, I said, well, yeah. that's very kind of you. Can of I have course. that in writing? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so he had, a, he had all the passport numbers because I'd given them to his previous guy. Mm-hmm. And... Um, um, so that was that, and I then called my crew up in their various undisclosed locations and said, don't worry, don't bother to come down to the dock, we're okay, get on with your lives. And so as all I said at the end of the little story was, do I feel safe from terrorists? You bet! Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, see, <laughs> I, see, I see disorganization on a couple levels there. Um, um you know, uh, perhaps you guys could have anticipated more landing yourself, but the fact that, uh, like, say, you got bounced around from mm-hmm. from one phone to the, the other uh, speaks of kind of poor standard operating procedures of those people answering the phones, if nothing else. Even giving wrong phone numbers. Well, there is that. Yeah, there is the wrong phone number, which was kind of curious. But I think the, uh, the what really was happening, what it was, see, I, as I've thought about it since, I thought, I'm just dealing with government bureaucracy. And it's basically uh, people who are at the end of their shift, and along comes some complicated case, like a bunch of <laughs> yahoos on a boat. And, you know, they're busy up there in, at the airport or in Holton or wherever it is they're <laughs> supposed to call. And uh, they each one just wanted to get rid of us. They wanted to pass us along to the next shift and or the other airport or whatever it was, you know, and... Uh, so it was just it was a, we were just being passed around whole in each case I'm sure they were thinking oh let's get this to the next to the morning shift we don't want to worry about this and that's what happened now if that's supposed to be protecting us from terrorists uh I would I guess I would respectfully disagree that it's doing anything and and it basically reinforces my image which I've had for years 
that the Department of Homeland Security is one of the biggest boondoggles ever foisted on the American public. And I really mean that. It is just a joke. Go to any airport and you'll see it for yourself. It's awful. I have shared uh, uh, some of the maritime uh, tale that you've just told, uh, the exact same thing. And, uh, again, checking yeah, I, in with the Canadians, just a wonderful convenience. Yeah, I, well, I, I've had the same experience, not not as bad as what he's saying, but uh, technically he should have called in long before the boat ever arrived here. That's a good point. Gotten, gotten some instructions, because that's what you're really supposed to do. In fact, you're supposed to call 24 hours before arrival. And maybe that works. I don't know. I have a case of... And the other thing you have to be careful of, that system in Canada is called CanPass. Right. And and what they... They're quite apt to, to notify the customs down here that you have left Canada. Right. You That's, don't know. That's, that's why. That's why we thought we probably ought to check in because. Yeah. Uh, well, we, you did the right thing. It just. Yeah. It's. Uh, I've. I've run. We've all run into that sort of thing before. Well, we caught him on a Saturday night. I think that's the big yeah, answer. Yeah, and yeah. you're right. We could have called ahead of time. Now that, of course, begs the question. Then, you know, if if the whole system depends on people like me and you calling in 24 hours ahead, um, what's it doing about anybody who has any evil intent? Not very much. Interesting question. David, uh, we're talking to David Platt this morning. There's a uh, somebody waiting on the phone here. Let's bring him up and see what's happening. Good morning. You're on Boat Talk. Well, this is David also, but I'm not an expert in anything in, uh, in Brooklyn. Well, duly admitted, David. That's good. <laughs> you know, it's always good to Neither know what you're good I. for. Thanks, two of us. What are you thinking this morning, though, David? But, but I have been reading quite a bit about uh, tidal energy. And, and last Friday... Was it just last Friday? Uh, Renewable Radio featured Tidal Energy. I believe we gave you a plug a little while ago, Dave Evans. Ah, uh, This is laundry day here, and with the 12-volt ringer washer, it's quite a loud operation. We did give you a plug a little while ago. Um, But there there has been more news since then. Uh, As Renewable Radio was broadcasting, uh, a company, Ocean Renewable Renewable Power from Florida, was uh, installing a test unit out in Eastport, and they, they currently have a test unit in the water, and they're uh, going to test that for a little while, and they're looking for more money. They need to raise uh, millions of dollars, I think, before they uh, go with the full power. Dave, without uh, uh, you know doing the whole renewable radio episode here, is there any downside to tidal power? I don't know. It seems that tidal energy has a lot less resistance than large wind farms and even less resistance than small wind generators. Um, I don't know of any downside to it. Um, I can suggest one. This just comes up. We've done some stuff on it in our – this is David from the Working Waterfront. We've done some stuff in the paper about it. Um, There are sometimes objections uh, in the fishing community because of potential – interference uh, with runs of fish and so forth of, uh, you know, passing through turbines. And it's the same problem you have with dams and fish passage with dams. And uh, so that is uh, a consideration. I think otherwise why, uh, you know, it, it is a change, like any hydro, hydro development, it's a change in the, in the, the wild regime, whether it's uh, tidal flow or river flow or whatever you're talking about. And uh, 
so you get you know changes in water levels and things like that and and that affects there's always somebody who's affected by that a, a flow a stream flow tidal generator really can't affect the amount of water flowing until you install them so densely that boats are going to be in in interfered with and all kinds of other stuff yeah yeah um so uh and the old style with a dam for tidal energy is really out of style mm-hmm. and there are a few of those in the world um there's one in nova scotia but that's old yeah. technology and they can generate far far more power without building the dams nowadays there's a new technology um of the type you talk about you know basically a run of the what, what you know basically without a dam and so forth just involving an underwater turbine that um, is under consideration at, on Vinyl Haven, and there's been some talk about it. Um, uh, it's being studied anyway. That'll be interesting to watch to see how what, what happens there. Phil Crossman at the uh, Tidewater Motel has installed the tidal generator. He's yep. got a little uh, tidal race right under his property there. It's, it's, this this project I'm mentioning I think has to do it, it is at least connected to that same site, and it's uh, but maybe a, a slightly larger or more ambitious project. Yeah. And now is that on a causeway or is that just in a narrow uh, constriction? It's a constriction there with a bridge over it. I'm not sure beyond that. You know, Vinyl Haven has a lot of water flowing in and out of a lot of narrow places. So um, that's all yeah. I can tell you. Yeah, and then, the you know, the anyway. basin is one of them. The, yeah. the water just comes out of there at a tremendous rate. Right. And your slack period is very, very little. Yep. There's, there's multiple possibilities for use of this kind of power. One, not in this country, but think of it up in the uh, St. John's St. John River. Oh, you uh, mean, yeah, by the I city mean, of St. John. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. I mean, you just cannot go through there in a boat except for about 12 to 15 minutes in slack water. A lot of motion of the ocean that can yeah. be harnessed. Uh, I think of the... Uh, somebody- clean got a little uh, machine that will uh, pump your dinghy out as, as it rocks in the waves. It uses the rocking of the, uh, of the wave action to pump the water out of your dinghy, for instance. Uh, like I say, motion can always be transferred into uh, some energy, can it? Mm-hmm. We got uh, David Platt and David Evans. Dave Evans does a renewable radio. It's, uh, what, the fourth Friday of the month, Dave? The first Friday. The first, first Friday. yeah, first, fourth, pretty close. Now, Oregon State University is the, the group that is studying wave power. They have more waves over there than apparently tide, and uh, some university in Florida, I'm not sure which it is, uh, is studying, I heard Giffy mention the Gulf Stream. They're studying that kind of uh, stream there's a, there's power. A, there's that, that, a that's new, tremendous. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's a new uh, outfit uh, getting started in Rockland. I just might mention it as long as it's here, as long as we're on talking on this topic, um, called the Ocean Energy Institute that uh, is... I think going to be doing a lot of new stuff on um, tidal power and so forth related presumably to Maine and the Gulf of Maine. Ocean Energy Institute? Yep. Oh, that's yep. interesting. We'll have to write yep. that down check yep. it out. The, the elections a year ago, there were a lot of candidates were talking about tidal power. And at the time, there were still, I believe, three tidal generating stations in the world and one in North America. And since then, it's, it's really been exploding, and I think it's uh, going to really grow. Nothing like the high price of oil to stimulate some alternatives. That can help. Maine has got numerous, numerous areas that would, could generate 
clean power. It's just yeah. all over the place. People, you, until you start thinking about it, you forget them. Well, but, you know, uh, when I was a young hippie, for instance, I remember a, a fellow coming to me and saying, they can burn trash and make electricity, and you go, great. And then the right. wind power, you know, uh, even the Nantucket people, they don't want to... Uh, uh, apparently, the Kennedys don't want to look at uh, wind towers down there. You know, people Mars Hill, some of them like it, some of them don't. Problem with anything, um, you know, somebody is not going to want it in their backyard. Right now, there's uh, radio towers being proposed for Bangor. People are saying they're going to kill eagles flying by. You know, we can't have another radio tower. So it's a hard time to add anything new, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So in the meantime, we, we just go on with mountaintop removal. But we can't see that from here. <laughs> That's right. right. We fear change. We're not saying the system's good. We just fear change. We like yeah. to export our problems. You know, one of the things New England's done for years is buy a lot of power from Hydro-Quebec. And uh, that, you know, the destructive aspects of Hydro-Quebec or something don't get reported down this way very much. But, you know, there's huge areas that have been flooded up there. And, uh, you know, it enables us to import power and not... Uh, be worried about acid rain and things like that, but there's a cost, and there's a cost to everything. The only thing, the only cost-free thing, is is uh, energy conservation. There is a cost, and when they when they first started at the Quebec Hydro, it never got reported, but there was hundreds and hundreds of caribou mm-hmm. got drowned there. Oh my! Did anybody see the paper this morning? Speaking of Canadian power, a. Uh, Space saucer, a uh, flying saucer, was uh, said to have crashed into the ocean off of Point Lepro, New Brunswick, last night. And it turns out it was an American uh, rocker, rocket booster for a, a national security satellite that went down in flames into the Bay of Fundy and crashed into the water off of Point Lepro, New Brunswick. <laughs> there is a nuclear reactor at Point Lepro, New Brunswick. <laughs> True. You know? And they're thinking about building another one, and uh, that was kind of nearby as well. That's the front page of the Bangor Daily this morning. Well, there you go. Well, it's not a problem at all. It's not a problem. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to uh, – not, I'm not an expert, but I did want to speak up about title. I'll let you go. Thank Thanks you. for calling in, Dave. We right. did give you a plug, and good job getting yourself another one. So. Interesting. Yeah. All right. David Platt. So, uh, David, what – you know, uh, I don't know uh, – there's not a. There is a steady volume of people uh, coming and going to uh, entering and exiting the United States by water, but it's not big enough to put people uh, full time in Rockland and Bar that, Harbor. And, yeah, that of course is the problem. Yeah. and uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure that from if you're looking at Homeland Security from a, you know, the government's perspective or from the perspective of the general public, including me and you, why um, you have to go where the big risks are, and they would be. You know, ports that handle containers and airports that handle a lot of passengers. And so you got to put your, your yes. people there. Well, they're people not that in... sail in in boats, uh, uh, you just <laughs> have to deal it, with them as best you can. Not only that, there's just so much movement yeah. that it's impossible to check it. But what is going to cover some of that is, uh, I don't know much about it, but uh, satellite imagery that will track any any boat, regardless of its size, moving in on the coast. Yep. That's right. They do have the big zoom-out button. Yeah. They can watch you at any time. Don't sure. They? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you know, and, and uh, yeah, you, you and, and any boat uh, that has electronic uh, navigation on board, I mean, you know, a GPS uh, system, why, you know, you're tracking yourself 
Yeah, even anyway, so it, it would be a fairly simple matter, I'm sure, for uh, the GPS system to uh, uh, be able to access that information as well. Very interesting, David. Hey, we thank you for calling this morning. All right. Yep, good to talk to you, David thank Platt you. from the Island Institute, uh, Working Waterfront uh, newspaper, and, and uh, yeah. We have somebody else standing by on the telephone right now. We might as well get to that. We'll give the phone number real quick. We're coming up to the end of Boat Talk this morning. But still, it's one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Phil Crossman calling from Vinyl Haven. Ah, we were just talking about you. I know you were. That prompted this call. Uh, David mentioned my the turbines that I'd installed here in a raceway, and uh, he indicated, I think, that they were generating. And, in fact, they were not. Uh, we, we gave that installation up because boat traffic and... Uh, a big amount of flotsam every spring presented a real obstacle to that particular location. But right now we're installing turbines, uh, helical turbines, in two different locations in that same raceway. Helical turbines? Are they Looks like a big screw. Yes. It's, it's like a DNA, and it, uh, because of its design, it can turn and generate regardless of the direction of flow. Uh-huh. Oh, cool. Are they self-cleaning more or less, too? Uh, I expect they must be. Yeah. It's, it's impossible for debris to get hung up on them. And huh. because they're helical, when, there's a, that, there's, when the tide turns, they're going to do this exact same thing, although perhaps with less efficiency if the water's running in one direction with only a one-foot head and the other direction with a nine-foot head. Well, yeah, there's a difference between theoretical can I, efficiency can and I ask what actually works. Leaders. Uh, are they on the bottom? What do we see if we're standing on the shore looking yeah. at an installation? I think we might have lost Phil. Still got Phil on the phone there? No, we, we've no, lost maybe Phil. not. Got all quiet here in the headphones. Very interesting, though. Phil Crossman uh, owns the uh, Tidewater Motel over on uh, Vinyl Haven Island. And, again, he's got a raceway, a uh, little tidal fall area under his uh, property. And I, to, I'm assuming that they're placed on the bottom. Yeah, you would yeah, think, think so. Where they don't interfere with much of anything. I but there's got to be something right uh, at a buoy or something at the top to mark it and a way to retrieve it, for instance, and it yeah. takes up space. And Yep, we do have another call, so let's go back. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, it's Phil again. Okay. Yeah, Good Phil. Phil. Now, what do back. we see when we're looking at one of these installations? Do we see something sticking up out of the water? No, although uh, the installation is the installation results in the turbine being completely covered when the tide is coming in one direction and the head is considerable. But when the tide turns, about a third of the turbine is visible above the water, and the oh. lower half is engaged in the current. Hmm. And you see it spin. Yeah, you can see it spin. Well, and Things you could just t- sit and stare at, not objectionable to look at, hopefully. So no, no, no. They have to be placed somewhere where boats won't run into them then. Right? Yeah, these are in a non-navigable waterways. Okay. But they're in, they're very much, it's the same current that you were talking about a minute ago in the basin. It's the exact same thing, except it's more constricted because of the construction of the bridge. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, high water flow and uh, low volume sort of thing. So we ought to have it up and running by spring, and hopefully we'll have something really interesting to report by then. We'd okay. like to hear back from you, Phil. Yeah, you will. will. 
<laughs> Anytime, buddy. Alrighty. Uh, Phil used to uh, write a great little column in the Working Waterfront, too, and I asked him a little while ago, why hasn't that shown up? Kind of a, a little amusing take on uh, on life, you know, and, and uh, you've just kind of forgotten about that, Phil? No, I haven't forgotten. I, I really think I've got writer's block, or it may be that I'm just... Uh... You know, it may. I may have to wait for this administration to uh, to leave office. <laughs> Don't it's tell me a lot of you're not able to see the amusing sides of life as you were just a little while ago. You know. No, but, to speak nautically, they're kind of taking the wind out of my sails. There you go. Best of luck. All Thanks. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. And we have one more quick call to get to before the end of the show. Good morning, and you're welcome to Boat Talk. Hi, this is Pete Buxton down in Stonington. Hi, Pete. How are you? I just had a question for Giffy. I got my 1903. Chesapeake Bay Oyster Sloop I'm just starting to restore in my shop, and I'm thinking about dropping the keel and uh, full keel up restoration and wonder if he had any good hints for me. Sounds like more steel fasteners. Pete, we should point out, is a fairly yeah. capable boat yeah. builder to start off with. I, I'm pretty sure that she's all iron fastened. Yeah, she's been refastened with bronze here and there over the years, but she was originally iron, so yeah. yes. Well, I, I, I can't believe that you don't need to drop the keel right out of it. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I would, I would, I would think it would be a big mistake not to. There'll be nothing left of the iron. Yeah. There'll be nothing left. The, you know, the, that keel would almost drop out by itself. <laughs> but then it won't come off easy either. It'll fall off but, when you don't um, want it to. But but I have pretty much. That's pretty much the case. Yeah. Any especially boat as old as that, but. Yeah, I, yeah, boat, you know, galvanized fastens, uh, you know, they've got a lifespan, um, round figures of 30, 35 years. They might go 50. Big boats, big boats, they're, they're, they're all gone at, you know, 60, 70 years old. Uh-huh. Unless, unless they happen to be special circumstances. Either the boat was in fresh water uh the fastens weren't in, particularly in oak. They might have been in some other wood uh, that's less acidic. And right, well, and, she's oak. <laughs> yeah, well, oak, oak, the oak loves to eat up iron. Okay, Pete, is this something you're fixing up for yourself? No, no, it's for a customer from England. Interesting. Yeah, because like I say, Pete is a fairly, fairly good boat builder uh, to start off with. For uh, how large your boat? She's thirty-eight. Yeah. Yeah. By 14. Well, I think we'll be calling you back on this, Peter, in the days to come. Okay. Right. I, it should be here for a couple of years, so right. uh, I'll let you go. Thank All you. Right. Oh, Thank good, you, good steady work. Yeah, got to well, like that job security. Another hour has sailed by. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, talked to Alan the other day. We didn't uh, have much of a plan, but we always stumble through somehow. And Boat Talk is uh, just always a delight. We do it the second Tuesday monthly. And you just ought to go through your calendar, your new Boat Talk calendar or any other one you got. And uh, put a BT on every second Tuesday is what I do. Tune in here. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. Jim Bahoosh is up next on with On the Wing on WERU-FM Blue Hill 89.9 and 102.9 in Bangor.